So January is always a good time to uh, sort of take a step back from whatever series we're in and just kind of remember uh, sort of why we're here as a church, who, who we are as a church, what it is that God's calling us to. Last week we had a great uh, celebration of the dedication of this building as we considered and remembered that, that this building is not the church, but we are the church. You and I, nowhere in Scripture is the church referred to as a geographic location or, or a physical structure, but uh, throughout the New Testament, when any writer speaks of the church, uh, he is speaking of the people of God as the church, even locally. And so you are, we are, Hope of Christ Church, even though we, we make it sound strange when we say welcome to Hope of Christ, but we just can't figure out a, a, an easier way to say welcome. Uh, it just sounds weird if we said, we're Hope of Christ and we're glad you're here. Uh, but if you are a visitor, that sounds a little, I don't know, cultish. Uh, but that's what we are. We are Hope of Christ. Um, and so I wanted to take a couple of weeks to just remind us of what that means to be the church together. And so our scripture reading today is from Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 to 11. And it's a, it's a brief passage, and it's, uh, Paul is, is opening his letter to the Philippians uh, with his standard uh, greeting of thanksgiving. So if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word, this is... Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever, but you may be seated. So before we get deep into the, the title and the outline, the Fellowship of the Saints, um, I said, at least when I opened, I said that uh, this is how Paul uh, opens all of his letters. Um, he, he opens all of his letters with, he first does the whole, hey, I'm Paul writing to you, and hey, you are the Philippians, in case this letter gets lost, it can get delivered to you. And then he, then he opens all of his letters with a, a thanksgiving. 
I give thanks to God for you. And I, I say all of his letters, uh, but that's, some of you are aware, that's not entirely true. Uh, uh, every letter that he writes to any church, whether it's one of the letters he writes to the Corinthians or to the Philippians or to the Colossians or even the two letters he writes to the Thessalonians, in all of these letters, he, he starts with, I thank my God. I thank God for you. But there is one letter that Ed is conspicuously absent. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he has no thanks to offer God for them. But after his introduction, he says, not I thank my God for you, but I am astonished. I am shocked. I am aghast. I am astonished that you have so quickly embraced another gospel that is really no gospel at all. Uh, now, again, this is just sort of a before we get to the outline stuff, but two things to gather from that. One, no matter what else good was going on in Galatia at the time, Paul could not thank God for anything that church was doing because that church had stopped preaching the gospel. Because that church, the leaders of that church had stopped preaching that salvation comes through Christ alone. That it is not anything that you do, there is not anything that you can add to it, that your salvation is fully, freely provided by God Himself through Christ. And they had altered that message. And Paul essentially, not even essentially, Paul says, without the gospel, nothing else matters. Nothing else you're accomplishing in this world matters if you are going to, uh, if you're going to, not preach the gospel or preach, as Paul says it, a false gospel. And so if you are, uh, you know, we're, we're in a kind of transient area, and so, you know, you'll be, some of you are already preparing now for, for moving uh, away, uh, wherever Uncle Sam calls you to next. It's a, it's a reminder that no matter what else is going on in a church as you go to visit, if the gospel is not being preached, the church is not worth attending. If the gospel is being doctored, if the gospel is being added to, if there's anything other than the message of we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, then that church, you should avoid any church that calls itself a church that would not preach the gospel. But on the flip side, if we would say, without the gospel, nothing else matters, on the flip side, when we look at all the rest of these letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, if the gospel is being preached, what else matters? When we, we're not in 1 Corinthians, but when you read 1 Corinthians, it is 
It's almost a what not to do letter for the church. There is so much going wrong in the church at Corinth. And yet, because the gospel is being preached, Paul can say earnestly, I thank my God for you. Paul can say here, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for all of you, making my prayer with joy. Do you hear that? Like all of the all of the alls, all of the everys, his thanksgiving for the church in Philippi is is pretty extreme. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, for you all. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you all, for you all are partakers with me of grace. Paul is thankful for each and every one of the Philippians, even as he is writing a letter to remind them of some things that some of them need to be reminded. The, the church in Philippi gets started when Paul shows up in Philippi in Acts 16. And so what are some of the people uh, that Paul is thankful for? If you flip over to Acts 16, in verses 11 to 15, Paul meets a woman named Lydia. She's a wealthy businesswoman. She already, she's actually a pretty decent woman. She's a lover of God. And yet, even as a decent woman, she needed to hear the gospel. And when she hears the gospel, she's so enraptured with the love of God that He would send His Son to save her from her sins that she begs the missionaries to come and stay at her house. And in fact, her house is where the church of Philippi begins to meet. And Paul is thankful for her. And you might think, well, that makes sense. I would be thankful for a wealthy businesswoman that bankrolled our church too. But she's not the only one that Paul is thankful for. In verses 16 to 18 of Acts 16, we meet another woman, a younger woman, a woman who's demon-possessed, a woman who's enslaved to the demon and enslaved to the very to the system that is taking advantage of her and Paul delivers her from her slavery from her bondage to the demon and her bondage to these uh, evil men who are taking advantage of her this is a woman of the church of Philippi later we meet a retired military officer which is strange because I know most of us thought there's no saving retired military officers, but apparently there is. <laughs> Here's this retired military officer who's got his, his cush job. He's a jailer. All he has to do is make sure the people in chains are still in chains the next morning. But he is so trapped by his sense of honor and duty that he would rather kill himself than think he's done something wrong. He would rather kill himself than think that he's let his superior officers down or think that he hasn't kept or done 
his duty. This is a, and he is saved by the amazing grace of God. He and his household come to faith. These are the, the people of Philippi. But then even in Philippians, the things that, that Paul is going to write about, these are the, the people that he's addressing are the people that he is thankful for before he even begins to address them. So in Philippians chapter 2, part of it uh, we read for our, for our time of confession there are those who need to be reminded that if they have comfort or encouragement from the gospel, it ought to produce humility in them. They ought to be at least as humble as Christ and probably a little more humble since they are actually the ones Christ died for. It ought to cause you to consider others' needs as more important than your own, to care for one another. These are the people that Paul is thankful for. Later in Philippians 2, he'll remind the church, hey, do all these things without grumbling or complaining. This is a verse that probably, if your parents make you memorize verses, this is a verse that your parents have made you memorize. My kids, I even, we even had a song we sang to it. Do all things, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Without grumbling and complaining. Do all things, do all things, without grumbling and complaining. Then you will shine like... Anyway, sorry. But, so apparently there were teenagers in the church of Philippi. Maybe wives. Oh. I'm just, all right. I just, I'm just seeing who's listening. I just want to know who's listening. Okay, so... But the reality is, Paul, Paul writes, and in his letter he says, he's reminding some group of people, hey, do these things without grumbling and complaining. But he also says, I'm thankful for all of you. In Philippians 3, he's going to talk about how tempted we are to put all of our hope in our own uh, track records or in our resumes. And he's going to remind the Philippians, listen, that's rubbish. That's garbage. That's nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't need a resume. You don't need to keep proving yourself. You don't need to keep pointing to everything you're doing and everything you've done. Christ is enough. And even those folks who need that reminder, Paul is thankful for. We're in... Chapter 4, you know, we all think what, what a delight it would be to have Paul call your name out uh, in one of his letters, you know, when he says, oh, I'm, I want to commend to you Timothy, or uh, I can't wait to send Epaphroditus to you. He's a great fellow worker. But sometimes he calls out your name, and you're like, oh, there's Iodia and Syntyche. Women of the faith, women who trust Christ, who need help getting along. He says, Syzygis, help them. I plead with Iodia and Syntyche, get along. Is it that they don't like each other anymore? Is it that they just can't work together anymore? 
And yet, they're part of the all. And Paul says, I'm so thankful for all of you. So before we even get to the, to the outline, let me just ask you that. Can you say that? Can you say that? I'm so thankful for all of you. Every one of you. In fact, every time I pray, I'm overwhelmed with thanksgiving for each one of you. How can Paul be so effusive in his gratitude for this congregation in which there's no shortage of struggles? Well, because his, his attitude toward them, his, his perception of them is that they are partners with him in the gospel. In verse 5, he says, I, I thank my God for all of you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The word translated partnership is the same word that's translated in many passages throughout the New Testament as fellowship. So in Acts chapter 2, for example, we're told that the followers of Christ, the new believers, uh, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to this, this thing, this thing called fellowship or, or partnership. It's the word that if you, like if you hang out in the church, especially if you hung out in the church in like the 70s and early 80s, you would have heard the word koinonia. You'd have heard phrases like, we just need some good koinonia. And no, it is not a new kombucha with like extra strains of probiotics. Uh, and it's not some disease. Oh, I heard she has koinonia. No, it's just, it's just the Greek word for fellowship or for partnership. So, so it, throughout the book of Philippians, Paul uses this word. So in, in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, I'm thankful because of your partnership in the gospel, because of your fellowship in the gospel. In, chap, in verse 7, he says, For you all are partakers with me of grace. It's the same word. You are partners with me. We have a fellowship in grace together. In chapter 2, verse 1, the, the first verse that we read for our responsive reading, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, it's that word. If there's any fellowship in the Spirit, if, there's any, if we have a fellowship in the Spirit, then we should be like-minded. We should be of one heart. In Philippians 3.10, Paul says, I, I just want to know Him and the power of His, arrest, His resurrection so that I may share in His sufferings. It's a partnership in His sufferings. We have a fellowship together in the sufferings of Jesus even. And then in Philippians 4, verses 14 and 15, he says, first, it was kind of you to share my trouble. Literally, it was kind of you to fellowship in my trouble, to, have, 
to partner with me in trouble. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. No church entered into fellowship with me, into partnership with me, except for you alone. It's all this idea of partnership, fellowship. Now, the strange thing is, uh, we as Christians, we've done a weird thing to the word fellowship, haven't we? So, like, if you, if you go golfing with your neighbor, or if you go golfing with your coworker, you know, you spend, you'll spend four, five, six hours, I don't know, I don't golf, so it seems like it takes forever, but those that like golfing, you do that, you, you share some time together, you enjoy your time together, and do you know what you just did? You went golfing, but if you go golfing with someone from church, do you know what you just did? You just had fellowship. Or maybe you're not into golf. Maybe that's not the tea time you're into. Maybe you like afternoon tea. And so you invite your neighbor over and you steep some tea and you sit and you talk and you share and you, I won't say grumble and complain, but you, you, you just, you enjoy each other's company. If, if it's your next door neighbor, then you know what you did? You, you had tea. But if it was someone from church, well, you, you didn't have tea. You had fellowship. Or maybe, maybe you like evening activities, and so uh, you get some friends together. And you know, it's, it's more fun to watch them lose 45 to 14 than with a group of people than to watch alone. And so you invite people over, and you... You have a common interest in beverages and a common interest in snacks. And you talk about sports and you talk about the weather and you talk about work and you talk about your hopes and your dreams and your fears and your aspirations. And if you do that with your neighbor or your coworker, it was a party. But if you do it with people at church, it was fellowship. Is that what Paul is talking about here? I'm so glad that we can have casseroles together so many times. You and I, we, are, we have such good casseroles. Is that what fellowship is in the Bible? I just feel like that can't be it. Because Paul says they were devoted to the fellowship. They were vo- devoted to this thing called koinonia or fellowship or partnership. It actually, it doesn't come from the realm of entertainment. It comes from the realm of business. In Luke 5, in fact, Luke writes about Peter and Andrew having a fishing fellowship. They had a fishing partnership with James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were in business together. They had come together for a a greater good. They had come together to do something greater. There's buy-in. There's sacrifice. They're working together to build this fishing business. 
Now, some of you have already seen the, the title, Fellowship of the Saints, and you're hearing me say fellowship over and over again, and so you're just waiting for me to give the obvious illustration of fellowship that has nothing to do with casseroles. And that is the first book of the Lord of the Rings. It is not called the Potluck of the Rings. It's not called the Tea Time of the Rings. It is called the Fellowship of the Ring. The Fellowship of the Ring. Four hobbits, two men, a dwarf, an elf, and a wizard. It would be a strange story indeed, wouldn't it, if the nine of them got together in Rivendell and shared nine different jello salads? That would be awful. And I know some of you think jello salad isn't awful, but it is, it's right up there with macaroni and cheese. So, anyway, they had a fellowship, they had a partnership that was bigger than themselves. There was a thing that they were committed to, that they were so committed to it, they would, they would give their lives to see it accomplished. This fellowship, this partnership, it demanded sacrifice. It demanded change. It changed even their relationships. So, so for example, Frodo and, and Samwise, they're like, that's a boss and employee. Employer, employee, like Samwise is his gardener. But in this fellowship, it changes their relationship so that by the end, they're, they're best friends. Well, Mary and Pippin, they entered as best friends. But their friendship just grew through the trials and through the challenges and through the difficulties so that you know, by the end of the the third book, just their friendship is beautiful to observe. Or some, some are from, from centuries of, of hatred and mistrust. Gimli, the dwarf, and Legolas, the elf, their people don't even like each other. They're very suspicious of one another. But this fellowship... Through this fellowship, they become best of friends. I mean, only, only in a fellowship, only in a partnership is it possible for, for such diametrically opposed people groups to come together and form friendships. I mean, where else but in a true fellowship would a hokey and a cavalier go to a women's Bible study together and genuinely pray for one another. Like that, that can't happen just over casserole. There has to be something bigger than that. Fellowship challenges our assumptions and it tests our commitment levels. Before the fellowship, everyone in the fellowship of the rings uh, just had a very, just a low-grade mistrust of one another. But just that beautiful line when Aragorn comes and he says, if by my life or death I can protect you, I will. You have my sword. And Legolas says, and my bow. 
And Gimli says, and my axe. We have been called to a fellowship. We have been called. Paul praises God, thanks God over and over for the fellowship, the partnership he has with the Philippians. We have a partnership together. We are in fellowship together at Hope of Christ. The foundation for this fellowship. In verse 5, it's a fellowship in the gospel. In verse 7, it is a fellowship of grace. In chapter 2, verse 1, it is a fellowship in the Spirit. The foundation of the fellowship is the gospel. As I opened with, if the gospel is there, then the fellowship is real. Then the partnership is real. Then the differences can be overlooked and forgiven and, and not made a big deal of. And, and we would come together because of the gospel, because grace, God has shown unmerited favor to me. God has forgiven all of my sins and yours. And we partner together in reminding each other that, hey, your sins are forgiven. God loves you not because you're lovable, but because He loves you. And the sooner we can grasp that, the sooner we can surrender to God's love that is unconditional, not even unconditional, God's love that is contra-conditional, God's love for you goes against what you deserve. And for me, how could we not be overwhelmed with that for one another and with one another and partner together to help each other see that and even help others outside experience that as well. God's love, God's grace, the gospel, the fellowship of the Spirit. Grace is the glue of this fellowship. What's the mission? What's the work of this fellowship? You know, when you come into a, a partnership, when you come into uh, the, the fellowship of the rings, the, there was something beyond all of them. It was something bigger. It was a greater thing than any one of them could accomplish on their own. But what is the, what's the mission of this fellowship that God has called us to? In verse 7, it's the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And so, part of the mission is, is to help each other know Jesus Christ. And to help our neighbors know Jesus Christ. This is one of those strange fellowships, one of those strange partnerships that exists actually for those who aren't in the partnership yet, right? Like this, this fellowship isn't just for us, but it's for those who aren't even in it yet to come and experience and to learn and to know Jesus Christ. It's for the defense and confirmation of the gospel. In verse 9, the mission is that love may grow more and more with knowledge and discernment. In other words, that we might grow in grace together. It's not just that we're in fellowship to, to know Jesus Christ, but we're in fellowship in order to grow 
together in order to grow in our love for each other and for Jesus and in our understanding of, not, of truth and to discern what is right and good. In verse 27 of chapter 1, we're called to strive side by side for the faith. And so there's an advancing, there's a, there's a fighting, not a fighting with each other, but a fighting with each other, striving side by side rather than striving face to face, that we might advance the gospel together. So it's not just a knowing Jesus Christ, or it's not just growing in grace, but it's also going, it's striving to advance the gospel, going into the world, going into our neighborhoods with hope. It's not all easy in verse 29 of chapter 1 and in verse 10 of chapter 3. The work of this fellowship includes suffering. We have a, a partnership in suffering. Part of that is, is bearing each other's burdens, weeping with those who weep, caring for each other, carrying each other's burdens, walking alongside of one another. Suffering for the gospel. In chapter 2, verse 22, we're called to serve with each other in the gospel. And in chapter 4, verse 15, to, to partner together. The fellowship includes partnering together in, in the giving and receiving of gifts. Part of our partnership is in in committing, you know, when, when you join a business, you, you commit financially to it. Amy and I like watching a, a particular lawyer show, and it talks about like the senior partners. And once you finally get to the senior partner level, it's not all roses and candy. Like just to become a partner, you have to pay $500,000 to become a senior partner. Like, there's buy-in. There's saying, like, I'm in. I'm all in. I am a part of this. So we're not going to do a $500,000 buy-in. We'll just, like, maybe a tenth of that. Anyway, what, what are the barriers to this kind of fellowship? What keeps us from considering ourselves partners in the gospel, uh, a fellowship of the gospel? You know, a true partnership, whether it's business or marriage or the church, it requires that you give of your time and your, your energy and your resources, the way we put it at Hope of Christ. Uh, you give of your time and your talents and your treasure. It's a nice alliteration. In marriage, we know that a partnership of a husband and wife doesn't actually involve a 50-50 give and take, does it? Maybe you don't know that. Uh, but in a marriage, if, if the husband is 50% committed to the marriage and the wife is 50% committed to the marriage, you don't have 100% commitment, do you? You have an awful marriage. 
If the husband is halfway committed and the wife is halfway committed, that's, like, that's not how math of commitment works. It requires 100% commitment of the husband and 100% commitment of the wife. And then you have a marriage that has 100% commitment. You know, the same is true in the church, I'd say. Let's say you had a church of 150 families, and each of those families was about 20% committed to the church. Well, Leonard, that's 3,000% commitment right there. Like, that is a solid church. But we all know that's, that there's no way. A church of 150 families that are 20% committed that church is not going to last through the month. In fact, give me a church of 30 families, 100% committed, and you will see a church that far outshines 150 families, 20% committed. I'm not saying you have to give 100% of your income or 100% of your time. But are we 100% committed to the partnership of the gospel? Of helping each other remember the gospel? Of, of seeing this place and this community as a place that shines out of the gospel? So why... What are some barriers? Sometimes uh, we're less partners and we're more customers. Because partners require some buy-in and customers require some buy-in too, don't they? I mean, when you're a customer, there's, there's a certain sacrifice you make. But when you're a customer, the goal is always to give less than you get. Like, nobody goes home and brags about the bad deal they got. Nobody goes home and says, man, I so overpaid for that. It was awesome. No, we want, at minimum, we want what we get back to match what we put in. But the reality is, even then, we're suspicious. Like, we want to buy something that costs more than we actually gave. And then we feel like, you know, we got a good deal. We got something out of that. Partnership actually... There's like the, temporarily anyway in a partnership, you're you're paying in far more than you're getting out because there's there's future dividends that you're looking at. There's a there's a larger picture you're looking at than the immediate payout. Even in the book of Philippians, Paul talks about some of the some of the things that can get in the way of our partnership. In chapter four, he talks about our anxiety over the future. Or even about our discontent over the present. In chapter 2, again, as we read for our confession, sometimes we're more concerned about our own interests than we are the interests of others. Or in chapter 2, verse 3, we think of ourselves as more significant than other people. 
We're or in chapter 4, maybe it's just hard to get along with some people. Or in chapter 4, verse 8, sometimes we're more driven by our thoughts than we are driving our thoughts. And Paul says, listen, if there's, if there's something noble, if there's anything good, if there's anything positive, think about those things. But too often we allow our thoughts to drive us and our fears or our misconceptions or our misunderstandings. And rather than telling our thoughts where to go, we simply follow our thoughts down rabbit trails and dark paths. What's the strength of this fellowship? Well, first, the strength of the fellowship is the senior fellow, the senior partner. You ever think about what, what was the cost to the senior partner to, to establish this partnership, this fellowship? You know, he brings grace and unmerited favor. God lavishes His grace on us in the person and work of His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, as I prayed over the offering, God didn't give out of His wealth for this partnership. He gave all of His wealth for this partnership. Like God gave of Himself. God sent His Son to take on flesh, to be humbled even to the point of death on the cross, to establish this partnership. In 2 Corinthians 8-9, Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. You know, the strength of this partnership is, is Christ in us. Paul says in, in, in Colossians 1, Christ in you is the hope of glory, that we have Fellowship, we have a partnership in the Holy Spirit. It's like, I think I've done this before, but let's say this is us. Here's our fellowship. See, now, I know, now some of you are paying attention. That's right. Now I'm paying attention too. So, what is the strength of the fellowship of paper clips? I mean, you can, I can pile them together. This isn't very fair for you guys over there, is it? You don't have to trust me. There's a pile of... Here, let's, let's go ahead and plant another church. So look at that. We're multiplying. We're doing a great thing. So look at that. You can, so here's the fellowship. Look at them. Look at them. They're all together. Isn't that lovely? What sweet fellowship they have. But, I mean, it's just a pile. They're just... They're not even connected. You think, aha, paper clips. So we should connect them. But even if we connected them, what would the strength of the fellowship be? Like technically, it would just be the strength of one paper clip, wouldn't it? Well, maybe we just need one really good paper clip and connect the rest of them to that one. 
well, that wouldn't really, like eventually that paperclip's going to get bent. Like if all the hope of the, the fellowship is on one paperclip or two paperclips, like it's, that's a lot of pressure. Is that what's going to keep them together? Then they're each relying on their own strength to stay together. Even if we connect them all in a line, eventually one's going to get tired. But what if there was a way to like connect them together and actually run a power through them that that power itself was actually the power that was connecting them? And it wasn't even their own power. But because of that power, they just connected even to each other, even, look, even the lost. Look at that. We can even multi-site this. Look at that. Isn't that attractive? So I want to say this to you, and I want to pretend I don't mean it to be insulting. There is nothing in you attractive enough for this fellowship if it's not Christ. There is nothing in me attractive enough for this fellowship if it's not Christ. Here's this outside source so full of power and attractiveness that it even runs through Look at that dude. He's barely hanging on. Our fellowship is in Christ. It has to be. Or it will be so fragile. Let's pray.